where we have uh, been studying. I know we've been taking a little bit of a break uh, here the last month. Uh, things have been uh, kind of ramping up for for the launch in September, but we're going to be back in Colossians this morning. And uh, as you are uh, as you're turning there, I want just to to share about a, a story about uh, Napoleon, not Napoleon Dynamite, but the the Emperor Napoleon. Uh, in in uh, in March of 1804, uh, Napoleon, the the Emperor, put uh, the Duke uh, and my I've never spoken French, so I don't claim to pronounce this correctly, but uh, he put the Duke, the, the Engain, uh to death. Uh, he, he killed this, this nobleman, and as a result, all of Paris uh, was so angered by, uh, by that event that uh, you know, someone said that the throne of the tyrant trembled under him, uh, and that uh, a counter-revolution was expected, uh, and most probably would have taken place uh, but a couple months uh, later, as things were really beginning to uh, to heat up there uh, in July, Napoleon decided to uh, to order a new ballet to be brought to to Paris. Uh, and this ballet uh, would have been the uh, the grandest sight to probably hit Paris uh, up until that point. The the uh, the opera uh, was called Ocean or the Bards, uh, and it was I just remembered as as the grandest spectacle that hit Paris and to such an extent that the people forgot all about the the execution of that duke, and all they could talk about was uh, this this opera, this ballet, uh, and, and what a powerful uh, illustration of how distracted we can get. Uh, we 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 lay aside what was truly important uh, uh, because we're like, oh, look at this over here, um, and it's amazing uh, what what you can uh, get away with if you just distract people uh, on that. And uh, that, that's most certainly a tactic of Satan uh, to get us uh, to forget uh, who we are. Not that we literally forget you know, your name and address or where you come from, uh, but we forget who we are in Christ, who, who we are called to be, who our Lord is, uh, and what he requires of us. Now, we forget who we are as believers in Christ. Uh, and so uh, oftentimes we need to be reminded of who we are. Uh, we need to remember uh, who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. And that's why we partake of communion uh, regularly together. We, we celebrate what Jesus has done. Uh, we, we look forward to his return in the future. Uh, and that's where, uh, as we pick up in Colossians this morning, we're going to see the Apostle Paul uh, pointing the, this group of believers back to what they, what they already know uh, of who Jesus is, uh, what he has done for them, and specifically who they are in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and ultimately, uh, as we look at Paul's kind of flow of argument to, to review a little bit, since it's been a while uh, since we've been here in Colossians, uh, Paul started the letter by you know by thanking the Colossians. I said, "Hey, I've heard a good report of regarding your your faith and your growth in Christ." Uh, and then he uh, uses, I guess, his prayer for them to launch into this uh, this glorious exaltation of Christ at the, in the middle of chapter 1, uh, exalting who Christ is. And then chapter 1, verse 24, uh, Paul uh, begins to explain to the Colossians who he is because they've never met him. So if you're getting a letter from somebody that you've never met, you'd be like, who, who is this guy? And what authority does he have to, to tell me anything? So Paul establishes that. He says, hey, I've, I have been sent by God to make known his word and, and and to reveal a mystery and that mystery he says in Colossians 1:27 uh, is uh, 
the reality that Christ is in you, speaking of believers, Christ in you uh, is the hope of glory. And that is what Paul's ministry uh, is all about. And then uh, jumping forward to chapter 2, verse 6, that uh, then he finally begins to, to instruct them. Uh, and that's where I wanted to pick up and read together this morning. Although we're only going to be looking at verses 11 and 12, I wanted to read verses 6 to 15 together to kind of get uh, a picture of where... Uh, of the context of what we'll be looking at. So let's let's look at that together. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Uh, and, and as we as we see this, it's pretty amazing to to follow uh, what Paul is saying. He, he issues two two instructions at the beginning of what we read. He says, "Hey, uh, walk uh, as you've received Christ." So that's the first command: walk. Uh, secondly, it's watch in verse eight. Uh, see to it that no one takes you captive. The implication that, hey, if you're not on the lookout, somebody will take you captive. Uh, and then uh, if, we are, if we're commanded to, to watch out, uh, what, what does every five-year-old ask when you, when you tell them to do something? Why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that begs the question of if I'm supposed to walk in Christ and, and watch out, uh, and Paul is saying, watch out against any philosophy that's not according to Christ, well, he's in essence saying that our worldview, the way that we think, the way that we live in this life should be based strictly upon Jesus Christ, upon who he is and what he's done. And that naturally begs the question of why. Why should I make Christ the foundation of all that I do? Uh, that, that's that's the, the question that we, that we should ask ourselves by the time we get to verse 9. And then Paul answers that for us. He says, uh, because Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus is full of God. That's why you should base your entire life on him. And then in verse 10, he gives a second reason. He says, in essence, uh, so Jesus is full of God, uh, and you have been filled or made full in Christ. The idea of you have been made complete in Christ. That's what, that's what Paul says in verse 10. Uh, and then, with, with that, those two big reasons of, hey, Jesus should be your foundation because he's fully God, and you're made complete in him. 
But then what does that mean? What, made complete is kind of a, a big, broad category. How do I understand that? Well, and that's what Paul begins to explain in our verses today, that what we're going to, to look at in verses 11 and 12, and it continues on um, as we'll see uh, next week and probably the week after that as we work through uh, verse 15. Uh, he begins to explain what that, what that means for them to be complete in Christ, for them to be filled in him. And what we're going to see this morning is that Paul, uh, he uses pictures. Uh, he's, a, he's a great teacher and he, he uses two pictures uh, of what that completion in Christ looks like. He, he points to, uh, to circumcision and to baptism. Uh, of what, how do we understand uh, who we are now in Christ uh, and our union with Him, and how that impacts um, our our lives and how we should live on a day to day basis as a result. So, so how have believers uh, uh, been made complete in Jesus? Well, let's let's look at these. Uh, if you have your outline, let's look at uh, these two pictures that Paul points to. So, picture number one. Uh, is is circumcision the the cutting away uh, of the sinful heart? Uh, that's in in two eleven. And let's look at that again. Uh, Paul says, "In him, speaking of Jesus, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision uh, of Christ." And and in these verses, Paul is speaking about a spiritual transformation. Uh, that takes place in someone's life when when they no longer trust in themselves for salvation, but they trust in Christ. Uh, when you place your confidence in Christ rather than in yourself, uh, your sin is taken from you uh, and it's placed upon Christ. Uh, and uh, your sin being on Jesus is a, is a good thing uh, because when he went to the cross, your sin was paid for. Uh, if your sin is still on you, it's on your shoulders and you're the one who's bearing it. But if your sin was placed upon Christ because you've placed your faith in him, then he is the one who can pay for it. He is the one who can carry it. Now, and even more amazing than, than your sinful life being placed uh, upon Christ, your sin being placed upon him, what's even more amazing but not necessarily highlighted in this passage is the fact that uh, so your life is, is placed upon Jesus and he pays the penalty for your sin and his perfect righteous life gets transferred to you. Uh, you get his righteousness and he takes your sin. That's not necessarily the best trade for him, but it's a gracious trade and a loving trade for us. Uh, and uh, so that, that's what Paul is unveiling here. And what he's talking about, it's not, it's not a physical surgery. It's not a physical circumcision. It's a spiritual circumcision. Well, how do we know that? Well, what does it say? It says this is a circumcision made without hands. Uh, it's, it's not something that, that's physical. It's something that is that is spiritual, uh, and this uh, this reality is is not something that we do, uh, but it's something that God uh, performs and does to us. Uh, can you perform spiritual surgery? Uh, it, it, I mean, we can't even perform heart surgery on ourselves. We can't open up our own chest uh, and change our hearts, let alone uh, change something spiritually within us. No, we need the Spirit of God to work in us uh, to transform us, to perform that, that spiritual heart surgery upon us. And that's what Paul is saying here. This is, this is what has happened when you believe in Jesus. He, he cuts away, uh, it says, the, the putting off the body of the flesh. Well, what is the, the body of the flesh? Uh, you're like, okay, uh, and the flesh is kind of a unique concept in the New Testament because uh, you have to always understand what it is in context, right? Uh, and, and words get their meaning from the surrounding paragraph. 
so here in this context of, of the flesh is referring to, to your old sinful self. Your, your, your unbelieving heart, God takes that out and replaces it uh, with a new heart. But the, this, this cutting away of the, of the old sinful heart uh, is also seen, uh, if, you just, if you're there in Colossians, look, just look over at chapter 3, uh, verse 9. Uh, Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and, and then verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, of this, this reality, that, that putting off of the old self, that's what, that's what God does. It, it's a one-time act that God performs uh, on you. And that, and that word for, for putting off uh, is... Uh, it's a kind of a simple Greek word for like uh, to, to strip off your clothes, uh, but it has like a double preposition. So it's like it would be like uh, think of a, a little uh, a little kid who's so excited to go swimming in a lake, uh, and he, you know, and, and this kid is just is running wholeheartedly to the lake uh, and just taking his clothes off completely. Uh, and he, as he runs uh, to the lake, he's just throwing his clothes off. Uh, he's not like taking it off and dropping it along the path. He's like taking it off and throwing it from him. That's the idea here of, hey, your old self, your old sinful life has been taken from you and thrown away by God. It's, it's no longer there with you. It's, it's been cut off. This is what happens in, in spiritual circumcision. The body of sin in this life that you had uh, is cut away by God and cast aside when you come to faith in Christ. That's no longer who you are. That is the circumcision that Christ performs on his people. As, he, as Paul says here, that is the circumcision of Christ. Um, and, and this spiritual circumcision uh, is not something that's just new uh, in the New Testament, but it's actually uh, what was conveyed uh, in the Old Testament as well. Now, now, for the Jews, the circumcision was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant, and they thought that circumcision was something that would make them right before God. Of Hey, if I do this, uh, as soon as I'm I'm you know, physically circumcised, then I'm, I'm a part of who God wants me to be. But uh, listen to these verses in the Old Testament that would also point to a reality that there is a spiritual circumcision that people needed to undergo. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, uh, Moses, writing to the people of, of Israel, says, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and no longer be stubborn. Uh, and then 29, uh, 4 in Deuteronomy uh, Moses tells the people, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or hear. Moses is telling the people, hey, you're going to fail. Like You're not going to be able to, to do enough good deeds. You're not going to be able to keep the law of God that Moses just gave them. He says, you're going to fail in that because God hasn't given you a heart to obey him. And then in the next chapter, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he says, but in the future and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So he, on 29, he's saying, hey, you're going to fail miserably at trying to earn God's favor. You can't do that. But if, if God works in your life and gives you a new heart, suddenly you will love God. So if you're Israel, you would have heard that. And so, so I don't need to just try and earn my favor with God. I need to ask him to transform my heart. I need to ask him to give me a new heart. Additionally, in Jeremiah 4, uh, the, the prophet writes, he says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So the solution to, to their sin was for them to circumcise their hearts, to, to cut away their sin. But again, they can't do that. So it's pointing to a spiritual reality. And then uh, in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen, uh, being faced with a hostile crowd, the, the Sanhedrin, the same ones who crucified Jesus, he, he says this to them. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. He, he's pointing to this fact that the Jews needed heart surgery. They needed heart transformation. Uh, and and this reality of, of what Jesus does in our hearts when we believe in him, that he cuts away your old sinful self, your old sinful heart with its desires, this is a, 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 a deep theological truth. And it's kind of an abstract idea. You can't necessarily like put your hands on it. And you can't even necessarily see it because it's something that's internal and invisible. So how should this impact my life and your life? Well, this, this truth applies first and foremost to our thinking. There's some passages in Scripture when you get to them, it'll say, hey, like we read in ver, uh, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, hey, do not lie to one another. You're, you come away from that like, okay, so I need to start speaking the truth, and, and here's the application here. But you, you come to this, and you're like, so what do I make of this? And this is intended to change your thinking. This is intended to, as I, as I said earlier, remind you of who you are in Christ so that in, these, in this distracted world, you don't forget and lose sight of what is most important. Uh, and ultimately, this is, uh, you could say, a weapon to be stored in your heart and in your mind uh, so that when uh, ideas come uh, into your mind that are contrary to Christ, uh, as we see in verse or Colossians 2.8, we're, we're supposed to watch out for every philosophy, every empty deceit that is lifted up against Christ that is not according to him. In those moments when we, when we face temptation uh, to sin, when we face uh, uh, our own desires, uh, we should pull out this concept. Uh, and how should this concept help us? Well, when we are tempted to sin, when we are tempted to, to wander into lust, to, to covet our neighbor's goods, to, to lie, to advance our cause, what should we remember? That's not who I am anymore. That, that has been cut away. I'm, I'm no longer someone who, who pursues sin, but God has taken that out of my life and he's given me new life in Christ. See, that totally changes uh, how we think about ourselves. If we say, hey, my old sinful self, my old sinful heart has been cut away, we no longer even pursue those sinful thoughts and ideas. We have to remember that our heart has been circumcised. And it's not a potential, it's, hey, your heart can be circumcised if you do these things. It's past tense, and it's something that God does for you as soon as you believe in Christ. As soon as you say, I believe that Jesus is Savior. Lord, I am a sinner, I can't save myself, and I want to put my faith not in my own efforts, but in Jesus, in who he is and what he has done. God takes your sinful heart and casts it aside. Uh, if we can be real for a second, uh, does that mean that we never sin? No, and, and we, there's this tension then. Okay, so if you're saying that, that God's taken apart my, taken my old sinful heart and cast it aside, why do I still sin? Well, he, he's, he's transformed your desires. Uh, the old sinful heart is gone, but you still, you still live in a physical body, in, in the flesh that is under the curse, uh, that, that still is tainted by sin. Uh, and even the Apostle Paul uh, knew and understood the tension here. He talks about this in Romans 7. 
He says, for I do not understand my own actions. <laughs> for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Uh, he's talking about the, this tension of, uh, I know I shouldn't do this, but I do it anyway. Uh, and so, and I, I know I don't want to do that, and I shouldn't do that, but it's still, I'm, I'm drawn to it. Uh, as one pastor has said, we're like a man with a healed leg who limps out of habit. We're like a former prisoner who still wakes at prison hours. Uh, all of our, our previous habits and, and manner of life prior to that spiritual circumcision that God works in our life, uh, it still impacts us and we still kind of live according to its ways. But we need to begin to think of that as, hey, that's been cut away. I need to live differently because that's no longer a part of who I am. That sinful self is gone. Uh, additionally, in, in Romans 7, uh, Paul kind of concludes this section on this tension uh, of who we are now in Christ and our sinful battle against or our battle against the sinful flesh. Romans 7 verses 21 to 25, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So, hey, my heart is transformed and I delight in the things of God. But I see in my members, speaking of his body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then look at this amazing conclusion. He says, wretched man that I am. And this is the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I am, I'm wretched. But he doesn't just end there on a low note of how terrible I am. He, he comes to this conclusion. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm wretched. Who can deliver me? And then verse 25, he says, but thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He ends on, a, on a, 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 mo, a word of praise because he understands what God has done in Christ, in his life. He says, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, and here in Colossians, Paul is, is calling this group of believers to remember that their old sinful self has been cut away. It's no longer a part of who they are uh, and he wants them to understand who they now are in Christ. It's been cut away and cast aside by God. So then let us not return to the sin that God has cut off and cast away. Right? We have that tendency to, to return to what is comfortable, but we, we should not. We need to begin to think of that part of ourselves as gone, as missing. It says if you, uh, you, know, you, you cut off your arm, uh, I need to begin to live as if I only have one arm. Uh, we need to begin as it, to live as if Christ has amputated sin from us. We are no longer alive to it. And this reality of our spiritual circumcision in Christ is the first picture that, that Paul uses to, to kind of uh, paint in what this completion in Christ looks like, of being made, filled in him. That's the, the first picture. And the second picture uh, is baptism, and that's seen in, uh, in verse 12. Uh, let's go back and read verse 12 together again. It says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So the, the, the first part of verse 12 uh, explains when uh, that spiritual circumcision takes place. Uh, uh, and I know the ESV, I think the, the NASB also translates it this way, as having, having been buried with him in baptism. And as you read that, it kind of sounds like... Uh, the that uh, spiritual circumcision 
would, uh, I guess, or the baptism in Christ takes place before the spiritual circumcision, but they actually take place at the same time. Uh, uh, they are uh, in action; they're they're co-tempor- or contemporaneous uh, with one another of the circumcision and and baptism. Uh, God cuts away your old sinful life when you are baptized, and I don't think He's talking about uh, baptism like physical baptism. Uh, I think He's talking about baptism in the Spirit. He alludes to this in First Corinthians twelve verse thirteen. Uh, Paul writes, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So uh, physical baptism is is important, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but uh, it doesn't necessarily cleanse you from sin. Uh, it, it's uh, If you don't believe in Christ, you're just taking a dip in the water, uh, you know, or getting sprinkled or, or whatever, uh, you know, uh, method of baptism uh, you were baptized in of just that, that reality of you can't separate baptism from faith. Uh, and I think it's more likely that, that Paul is talking about spiritual baptism here because what type of circumcision was he talking about? Not physical, but one that was made without hand. So I think he's still talking about spiritual realities here and using these as pictures. But uh, I also don't think that we can divide spiritual baptism from physical baptism. Uh, the, the two go hand in hand. Uh, physical baptism is the, the visible representation uh, of an invisible reality. Uh, in physical baptism, uh, what happens? Somebody is dipped into the water. It's like they're buried with Christ. Uh, and then do they stay in the water? Only if it's a mean pastor, right, uh, holding him down. Uh, uh, no, they're raised up out of the water, resulting or picturing again, uh, hey, they were, they were buried and now they are raised to newness of life with Christ. Physical baptism is a picture of the invisible spiritual reality that takes place in our union with Christ. Of, hey, we were buried with him in baptism, as we saw, and then we are raised to newness of life. So, so Paul's, I guess, flow of thought would be, you've been spiritually circumcised. This, this spiritual circumcision took place at your baptism. Uh, and or when you were buried with Christ, and, and then this burial and resurrection uh, with Christ took place at the time of of baptism. That's what he's unfolding here. But it's also important to to see that where where we sometimes divide faith and baptism and and other things in the New Testament, they were all all together. Uh, there was no separation of them. Uh, one pastor has put it this way. It says that the New Testament connects our coming to Christ, uh, to faith, to repentance, to the gift of the Spirit, and to water baptism, and sometimes in various combinations of that. He says any of these could be used uh, to uh, point to the entire experience, implying, of, of course, in each instance, the, the presence of the others. So water baptism then as a, a critical New Testament uh, rite, uh, intimately connected to our conversion experience, could be a shorthand for the whole experience. So he's saying in the, the New Testament authors, there was no concept of baptism apart from faith. Uh, the, and if you look at uh, the, the, the early church in Acts, as soon as people believed, what happened? They're like, where's a body of water? You know, how do, how do we get them baptized? Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 41 uh, says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Like, I don't know the, the logistics of that, but that would probably take a good amount of time to baptize 3,000 people. Uh, that was a long service. Uh, uh, and then additionally in Acts chapter 8, Philip uh, and the Ethiopian eunuch, 
uh, you know, Philip comes to this man who's reading uh, Isaiah, uh, and then you know, the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, who is, what's this talking about? And Philip's like, sweet, this is like t-ball evangelism. It's just right there for me to hit. Uh, and he shares the gospel with him, points him to Jesus, and then the, the eunuch says, hey, well, here's water. Can I be baptized? And Philip says, yeah, absolutely. And so he's baptized. Additionally, we see that with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. As soon as he comes to faith, he and his whole household are baptized. Same thing with the Philippian jailer. Uh, he and his whole household are baptized as soon as they believe. And uh, so how do we get from that immediate baptism in the early church to today, where in the church you can kind of have this reality of people who would profess to be Christ but have never been baptized? How, how did we get there? Well, the, the answer is pretty simple. Uh, false teaching entered into the church towards the end of the first century. Uh, and this guy named Marcion uh, in the second century, uh, he was such a, a widespread false teacher that the true church began to ask questions of people uh, when they were baptizing them. Uh, and they began to, uh, to ask them to confess certain truths. Uh, and uh, what they, they would put forward a, a series of questions which became known as uh, the rule of faith. Uh, and uh, I'll read it for you here, and it might sound familiar because the rule of faith is what became the basis for uh, the Apostles' Creed. So in the early church, when they were just about ready to baptize somebody physically, they would ask these questions. Do you believe in God the Father, the ruler of all? Do you believe in Christ Jesus, God's Son, who was born by the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and died and was buried and rose again on the third day, alive from the dead and ascended into heaven, sat at the Father's right hand and will come again to judge the living and the dead. It's a really long question, but they would ask that because there's all of these things that you need to believe about Jesus. Then it would end with, do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, and the resurrection of the flesh? Those are profound, again, theological questions, but they would ask that of people uh, because they wanted to make sure that you were believing in the right Jesus. And what you believe about Jesus is just as important as believing in Jesus. Because if you believe in a fictional Jesus, someone who didn't really exist, but who you've kind of created in your own mind because he fits what you want, uh, you could still go to, to hell. You have to know the Jesus of Scripture, who he claimed to be in order to, to be saved. Uh, and ultimately here... Here at Ambassador, we want to hey, baptize people as soon as we can. We don't want there to be a huge delay, but we also want to make sure that people understand the gospel, who Jesus is and what he has done, that they genuinely believe in the Christ of Scripture. So uh, to be baptized uh, is, is a public declaration uh, to, to the world around you that, hey, I am now identifying with Christ. I'm now... Uh, understanding that I have been made one with him. I've been united with him. He is in me and I am in him. Uh, and baptism is that declaration uh, that you have been united with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Second Corinthians 5.17 uh, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, uh, and uh, one pastor has put it this way. It's very uh, profound. It says, uh, a death and resurrection have taken place in us. My old sin-oriented self has died. I've been given a new life with new desires. The old self is the person we used to be, the person we were in Adam. Uh, this old self was under the power of sin, 
Uh, we were slaves to sin, but now we've been united to Christ, a reality symbolized in baptism. We've been united with Christ in his death. His death becomes the death of our old self, and we've been united with Christ in his resurrection. We've been given a new self or a new life. Uh, and in Scripture, I guess there would be two two stages to a resurrection, uh, because it says now that we've been raised with Christ, but do you, do you feel resurrected? Uh, part of that, that first stage in resurrection is uh, our old self dying, and now we live differently in this life. And then that second stage of resurrection is in the future when we are glorified with Jesus uh, at his coming. Uh, and our being raised from spiritual deadness with Christ uh, is by the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Look, at, look back at chapter or chapter 2, verse 12. It says, hey, you were also raised with him through what? Through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from that. We can be assured of our future resurrection. Why? Because Jesus himself was resurrected. By who? By God the Father. And that should give us hope. Uh, but but if, we were, if we are raised from the dead, what do we need? Well, we need a new, a new heart. Uh, dead people don't just naturally raise on their own. Uh, in the in the U.S., uh, there are uh, in the last 30 years there have been 67,000 heart transplants, uh, which is an average of about 2,000 uh, transplants a year. Uh, and as I was looking this up online, I was really grossed out to read about this heart plant uh, this transplant procedure. What they do in a, a heart transplant is they they op they sedate you. I'm glad that to begin with that they sedate you. They and they open up uh, your chest and uh, they hook you up to a cardiopulmonary machine that will pump uh, the blood throughout your body, and then they remove that that diseased heart, uh, and uh, they put in uh, the new heart, uh, and then they they hook you back up, connect all of the blood vessels, make sure uh, there's no there's no leaks, uh, and then they 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 close you back up, uh, and uh, I mean it's quite the quite the procedure. Uh, and within that, you would you would never open somebody up to even remove the old diseased heart unless you had what a new heart ready at hand, right? Uh, and uh, you would never um, want to uh, to remove uh, and and put that into place without being prepared for that. Um, that that physical surgery. Uh, that diseased heart is removed and, and a new heart is put into uh, its place. And that those principles would apply to, to a spiritual surgery. God isn't just saying, it doesn't just end with verse 11 of this spiritual circumcision. Hey, God's taken out your old heart. You're like, well, that could be really concerning <laughs> because that means I don't have a heart. Uh, he hasn't just taken out the old, but he's given you something new as well, something new, something better. He's taken out what was uh, sick and diseased because of sin. He's given you something infinitely greater in this new spiritual heart. Uh, uh, when, when Johnny was, was leading us in, in communion, he, he pointed to, uh, to the new covenant promises in Jeremiah. Well, I'd like to point to the new covenant promises in Ezekiel. Uh, in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, uh, the prophet writes this, speaking of what God would do in the future for Israel. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. 
Listen to this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, this is the, the this surgery that God is talking about. Hey, that, that heart of stone, God's going to take out and he's going to put in a heart of flesh. Something that actually works, that, that responds. Uh, he's describing the, these promises. These were promises to Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, and we get to partake of it in the New Covenant, uh, which Christ has become the mediator of. And our union with Christ uh, allows that spiritual surgery to to take place. And so in these two verses, and we, we see these, these pictures uh, that, that Paul is using to explain uh, our union with Christ, of what has happened when we believe in Christ. Uh, and uh, so, so how do we, again, respond to this of, hey, we, you, you've died uh, to sin. Your, your sinful heart, your sinful life has been taken away. That's been it, it's passed away. You've been buried with Christ. Your old sinful self has not only been, uh, I guess, cut off, but it's been it's been covered and and brought away. And then you've been raised. Uh, you have a new heart and a new life now in Jesus. Uh, and and God wants us to know and understand that. Again, this is a passage that impacts our thinking first and foremost. Uh, but then He wants us to. Uh, have you ever had that where it's like, okay, I know something intellectually, I know it in my head, uh, but I don't necessarily believe it, it's true in my heart. Uh, that, that's the next step that we have to take of, okay, I know and I understand this, so I, God has taken away my old sinful uh, life, my old self, and he's given me a, a new heart and the ability to, to pursue him. You're like, okay, I know that, but now do I believe it? Do I really believe that that is what has taken place in my life? And I'm not asking, do you feel that? Because your feelings can lead you astray. But do you truly believe and trust the promises of God that what he has said and what has been explained here is true about you? Because that's, that's the, the hump that we need to get over. Of These are invisible spiritual realities that we can't put our hands on. But do I believe that it is true? Uh, additionally, God, God wants us to believe and then be transformed by these truths in our inner person. Uh, as we saw in Ezekiel, what's the result of God giving us a new heart? It's not so then we can go do whatever we want, but he says, no, you will obey my law. Obedience to God is the result of that transformation and a love for God. Uh, and so he wants us to, to think uh, of ourselves as dead to sin and alive in Christ. Uh, and because we have a new heart, he wants our affections to be transformed and changed also, right? He wants us to to desire him instead of desiring sin. Uh, he, he wants us to have a, a love for him rather than the things of this world. Uh, he also wants it to transform and change what we pursue, what we seek after. So that we're no longer pursuing uh, our own desires, uh, but we're pursuing what he wants. And then suddenly what Christ calls us to in the Gospels of if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. God wants our affections to be changed and transformed. And because we have a, now a spiritually circumcised heart, he wants us to, to choose to be a slave of Christ rather than a slave to sin. 
Uh, Romans 6, Paul will talk about that. Uh, we were slaves. We were enslaved to sin. Uh, and most of us don't. Uh, slavery is a, is a strong word, uh, but that's what sin does to us. It enslaves us. Uh, and God working this, this spiritual heart surgery uh, in our lives is intended to, to transform us and no longer uh, to free us from slavery to sin, but we're still slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to, to Christ and to his righteousness. We are to obey him. And God wants us to begin to, to act on that, to live uh, day by day, moment by moment, in light of that transformation. If he wants us to, to worship and praise him for what he has done in our lives, so of realizing and remembering, man, God has given me new life. He's completely uh, forgiven me all of my, for all of my sin and given me new life in Christ. Lord, I didn't deserve any of that, but, but you've freely given it to me. God wants us to... Uh, to understand that, and he wants us to to put that new heart and that new life on display. Uh, and that's what brings him glory. That's what brings him honor and praise is when others begin to see like, hey, there's transformation that's, been, that's taken place in your life. How did that happen? Uh, because, again, we realize that transformation in and of ourselves isn't possible. It's not something that we can do. You can't open up your chest and, and transform your own heart. God has to do it for you. It's a spiritual surgery. And, and these, these two pictures of what uh, Paul described here of, of circumcision and, and baptism, uh, they, in essence, again, describe our union with Christ. And they are intended to, to explain how we are made complete in him and as a reason for why Christ should be the centerpiece of our lives, uh, of why he should be everything. Why should you uh, watch out for for false ideas and build only on Christ? Well, because you're complete in him, because uh, he's cut away your old self and given you a new life. Uh, he is that heart surgeon that has saved and redeemed you. Uh, and all of that is bound up in our understanding of our union with Christ. Uh, and now one, one pastor has, has said this about our union with Christ. And it's a, uh, it's a long quote, but it's, it's really amazing to, to think about. He says, One of the most precious truths in all Scripture is the doctrine of the believer's union with the Lord Jesus Christ. The concept of being united to Christ speaks of the most vital spiritual intimacy that one can imagine between the Lord and his people. While Christ relates to believers as Lord, Master, Savior and teacher, they are not merely associated with Christ as the object of his saving grace and love. It is not that Christians merely worship Jesus, obey him, or pray to him, though surely those privileges would be enough. Rather, they are so intimately identified with him and he with them that scripture says they are united. He is in them and they are in him. The Lord and his people share a common spiritual life such that the Apostle Paul could say that our life is hidden with Christ in God, that Christ is himself our life, and that Christ lives in us. Of, of seeing and understanding what a, what a privilege we have to be united spiritually with our Savior. Again, it's not just that he says 
worship me. It's not just that he says, obey me, but he says, no, hey, I'm going to have intimate fellowship with you. Uh, I'll be in you, you in me, and we are going to share a common spiritual life uh, together. Uh, and, and I pray that we would go from here thinking about that, dwelling upon that, and understanding uh, the implications of it this week. Uh, and may we, may we go from here dwelling upon that and having a desire to put that transformation on, on display to the world around us. Uh, may we live as faithful ambassadors for Christ this week in light of our union with him and our spiritual circumcision with him uh, and our baptism uh, and our union with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Uh, before I, I close in prayer, one thing that we've commonly done is uh, at the end of, of my prayer, we'll give about a, a minute just for you guys to pray uh, quietly in, in your own heart and respond to what you've heard uh, this morning. And then uh, Bruce will come up and we'll sing one, one last song to, to praise uh, our, uh, our great God and Savior. But uh, just to have that time of response uh, is important. But let's, let's go to him uh, together now. Gracious, gracious God. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for the spiritual surgery that you have performed in your people. Lord, we thank you for for forgiving our sins, for choosing to to cut them away from us and to cast them aside, not counting them uh, towards our condemnation, but cutting them away because of what your Son, Jesus Christ, has done. Lord, we not only thank you for cutting away our old self, but Lord, you have given us a new heart, a heart that desires you, a heart that uh, that longs to to love you and to obey you. And I pray that you would help us to understand that, help us to live in light of these truths and considering ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. Lord, help us to cherish our union with him. And may that impact uh, our thinking, may that impact our uh, inner character, and may that ultimately impact our actions. Lord, may we live in light of who we are in Christ. We thank you for what you have done in us, not because of uh, something that we've done to deserve it, but because of your gracious and loving hand. Lord, we thank you, we praise you for uniting us in Christ uh, and bringing us salvation. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.